sometimes human, sometimes animal, all conceived with extraordinary imagination and a wealth of expressive detail. Live more natural lives in their unnatural habitats. Becoming aware of nature, of natural details, and so forth. But whenever he can, he has to be ready to investigate the unexpected and unusual, because it may contribute to what he wants to know. We're talking about the sorts of things that had an impact in as much as they came from, from one part of the world and journeyed uh, to another and acted uh, in the mode of impact, impulse, influence, and so on. We want to him the man at the wheel who hurls the lance of his spirit across the earth along the circle of its orbit. I'd suggest that we should rather look for changing angles of vision. An inventive tradition which was able to handle with considerable equanimity a long list of wonders. Welcome! Welcome! We are so happy to be back. It's been a very, very long time. It really has. It's been what, about a year now. Something like that. To get you up to date, let's talk about what's happened in that year. Yeah, um, so yeah, the the big reason there's been a lot of a lot of reasons, but like <laughs> the big reason why it's taken so long to release a new episode is we've just had so much happening in our lives. Truthfully. Um, you know, we almost two years ago now bought this house and it's a it's a very, very old farmhouse. We mm-hmm. actually learned a few months ago that our house was moved to its current location in the late 1860s. Moved to its location in the 1860s. Right. So yeah, um, it's a very old house. We've had issues and so yeah we've been doing a lot of like home improvements and things like that in order to just like update everything but i mean it still has its issues i still need to do a bunch of fucking electrical work and whatever but like living in a house is just a constant project but um also we've been working on some property improvements which we will add to later Mm -hmm. um also, like, uh, another big thing for us was we both left our old shitty jobs. Yep. We're gone from the factory. So bye-bye night shift and hello day shift Living real Living the life of a normal human. World. Yes. Yeah. And honestly, like, it's it's been a fantastic thing for me just not only, like, health-wise, but also just mentally. Like, being able to go to sleep when the sun goes down waking up when the sun comes up and that kind of thing like especially during this winter and everything it's really helped out with you know like seasonal affective disorder and that kind of thing like being able to get the vitamin d that you need in your body by being up with the sun rather than living in permanent night and i think this is going to help us you know even working in this administrism paradigm um there has always been a need for night shift people but we are ready to be these day shift people. Yeah, we're moving on with a new chapter in our lives. Like, and that's that's one of the things. Like, I've I've spoken to people, like listeners and everything, who've asked me when oh, when's the next administrism episode coming out? And a lot of this like big big change and everything, moving into a new paradigm is just kind of like you are dredging up things in your life in order to change and transition into this and so like that transition itself is a big thing and so by transitioning into a big thing you're going to uproot a lot of things yes a lot of things have been uprooted 
So what else has been going on, Yara? Well, I'm, I mean, we've, we've had like just personal and family issues, but we're not going to get into that because it's really neither here nor there. But, um, recently, like I've kind of taken over with the Faith Blind Council podcast. So like I've been doing all of the editing work. I've been, you know, trying to get a hold of people for interviews and stuff like that. That's been like a big weight that I've been dealing with. It's nothing I can't handle, but like, that's just another, another thing that's happened that we have to work through. Right. Um, it's just another thing that has kind of put, uh, administrism a little bit on the back burner as far as recording episodes go. Yep. And then I edited a book, um, did that for Josh Wetzel, the Toxic Magic book, um, Ill Thoughts, Ill Words, Ill Deeds. So that was another big chunk of my time. So we're very sorry that this episode has taken so long to be recorded and released, but we are very thankful that you guys are understanding and we are looking forward to, um, you know, continuing to record and, um, track this journey for us and we hope that you join us definitely and this is like with all of these things and with these big changes and all of that like we've finally gotten into the swing of things where we can start doing this and start paying attention to our actual practice rather than you know prepping the groundwork for beginning that practice on that note i would like to first start going through our bibliography because we did that during the last episode, and it's one thing that I had said that I'm I'm very much wanting to do is have all of our sources cited to let you know where we're getting our information, what kind of information this is. You can check it out and like understand things in the same way that we understood them by reading them. So hopefully that will help out. The first book we have is written by B. Anson. It's called The Miami Indians, Volume 103, The Civilization of the American Indian Series, which was printed in 2000 by the University of Oklahoma Press. Um, the next one was written by W. Arthurson, called Spirit Animals, and that was published in 2012 through Eshia Books. The next one is K was written by K.H. Basso. It's entitled Wisdom Sits in Places, Landscape and Language Among the Western Apache. First edition, published by the University of New Mexico Press in 1996. Next was written by Bearheart and M. Larkin. In 1998, it was entitled The Wind is My Mother, The Life and Teachings of a Native, of a Native American Shaman. It's the reprinted edition and that was printed through Berkeley University. The next two books are Braiding Sweetgrass and Gathering Moss, which were written by R.W. Kimmerer. Um, and I know that Braiding Sweetgrass was published in 2020 and was published through the, um, the Milkweed Editions books, I believe. Um, next was written by L. Mengelkoch and K. Nurberg. Nurburn, published in 1993, it's called Native American Wisdom, published by New World Library, the first edition. And the next one I am going to butcher phenomenally, um, because I don't speak Miamia, um, but I'm going to try my best. Um, it's called Miamia Nihi Piwalia Aha. Achachimuna Nihi 
Allah Sukhana, and that translates to Miyamiya and Peoria narratives and winter stories. I, I butchered that to all hell, and I apologize for anyone who does speak Miyamiya, but I tried. I really did. Um, but that was published by the Miami tribe of Oklahoma and the Peoria tribe of Oklahoma in 2021. And then finally, I, our, our source is H.R. Schoolcraft and, and the United States Bureau of Indian Affairs. Um, and that was published in 2015. It's a really, really old series of ethnographies that go back to the 1700s. And this was one of the problems that I had when researching the Miami culture is the fact that there wasn't a whole lot that was written about their actual practices except from old ethnographies that were very, very problematic to say the least. Um, but they were written during a time when these practices were still alive and well. Um, so like I had to get what information I could, um, but it wasn't, it wasn't all great. Um, but yeah, that's, um, those are all of our sources for this episode. And I can't, like, we didn't, we didn't write out a script, so I'm not, I can't really, like, go ahead and tell you, like, what information I got where. Like, honestly, I'm just going to tell you, go out and read those books. Go read them. Yeah, they're pretty good reads, and um, some of them even have audiobooks. So I know um, both of the books by Robin Wall Kimmerer, um, they'd be Gathering Moss and Braiding Sweetgrass. Both of those have audiobooks. So if you're if you have a commute or you have time at work or time while you're doing dishes, like those are really good books to listen to. And I know that she is the author of those. Uh, she's the narrator of those books as well as the author. Um, I think. There may have been a few others that were also yeah. audiobooks. Um, the one by Bearheart, which was The Wind Is My Mother, has one. Um, I know that um, B. Anson's The Miami Indians is an audiobook as well, I believe. And then um, so is Wisdom Sits in Places by K.H. Basso. Those are, those are all great to just like listen to, and I'm not sure if... The authors are also the narrators I, I with all of them. But tell you. for me, it was kind of interesting to hear it from the actual voice of, you know, of the person who is giving this. It felt very personal. So um, and that was important to me. All right. Before we go any further, um, I think we should discuss uh, who the Miyamiya people were. Because that was like who we were focusing on. Right. They, they were the reason we pretty much started the paradigm. We wanted to know how the people of the land that we inhabit practiced... Their daily lives, Right, really. how they practiced their daily lives, how they worked with the land to live the most cohesive and with reciprocity with the land. Yeah. Um, so who are the Miami, Yara? The anglicized word is Miami. Um, and this shows up in a lot of different places. So like uh, lots of different names for things like the Miami even, or Miami University in Ohio. That's named after the Miami people. Um, but they had, they had different names. They like it. Tra first of all, it translates roughly to the downstream people. However, they call, they also call themselves Miktokshiniaki, which just translates to the people. I, and that and you'll see that a lot in lots of different like 
different cultures around the world, they just refer to themselves as the people or, you know, we are us or we are the ones like we like it's it's very kind of like centric on the on the organization or group of people who they are and so miktok shiniaki translates to the people so the miami are the people um but like they're known as the downstream people and there's a big reason for that yeah the reason for that is uh the area in which we inhabit is um just outside of what we know as Fort Wayne, um, and we are known locally as the Three Rivers City. We have the St. Joe River, the St. Mary's River, and the Maumee River. Also, um, the Miamia people, their land stretched to the Wabash River. So they had four rivers in their vicinity that, like, just in this one little small vicinity, um, they themselves referred to this land as Kikianga. That is, um, that was their term before. Before they got colonized. Before they got colonized, they were the they lived in Kikianga. But you'll still see the word, the name Kikianga, just like the term Miami in this area, quite a lot. Like there's there are lots of there's there's like Kikianga Brewery. There's like different Kikianga Street. I actually grew up on Kikianga Street, so it's it's just still known and maybe not known why by most people but it's still used some of the the native words are still used within our yeah if i remember correctly like it used to be like ages ago there used to be like a major league baseball team or like minor league baseball team in this area that was like the kikiyonga something and they were from fort wayne like this was back in the like 20s or some shit oh i have no idea about that but i know that there are whole neighborhoods that are devoted to um, names of the various groups, tribes of the Algonquin people, yes. which are who um, uh, the Miami fall under the Algonquin tribe, like family. Um, and the Algonquins settled in this like Great Lakes region of North America. And so I think the Miami even may have even traveled all the way up north to to the Great Lakes. Yeah. They, the, some, some of them had, like, some of the areas had reached up to the Great Lakes because Kikionga itself, like, what we know as Fort Wayne or, and bef before it was colonized and everything, Kikionga was basically, like, the meeting place. That was where all people, all of the Miami people would come together. They, like, the, you had all of these sporadic different clans and everything that like once a year or something like that, they would have a big festival where they all came or like a big meeting thing or whatever, where they would all come to Kikiyanga and um, you had each like, um, tr like clan chief or whatever would come in. And so like, like once a year they would have like the big tribal chief who was like the, the chief chief of of the Miami but they the the way they did it like it was entirely different than how most people most like colonist um people assumed like it was all done on meritocracy like the person who was chosen to be the chief like he was chosen because he was the best fit to do it like he was the one who was like he was the most like he was the best public speaker he was the best person to like hang around and help solve problems like it wasn't just 
you know, it wasn't just like a king and then the king's son and then the king's son's son. And then right. it wasn't just like a familial monarchy. It was a meritocracy. Right. Yeah. And like once that person was chosen to be the chief, they remained chief like most of their life. And w then they passed it on to the next person who had the merit and had the ability to do it. So it wasn't like um, their children or whatever weren't considered royalty. They were just like the children of the current chief. Yeah. And when you do look into um, some of the genealogy records, you might see that sometimes the children of the chief are referred to as like princes or princesses, but that's not... That's it's not technically true. No, that's that's how, you know... That's the, how the white people manage to understand. Yeah. There are lots of different different ways of seeing like familial relationships that weren't understood very well by the people who colonized this area. Like they, they understood. Um, so like another thing is if you're like your cousin, like your, your female cousins would also be considered your sisters in the Miami tribe because they were the children of your sisters or your mother's sister. So they would still be considered your sisters. There was a much different way of approaching familial life amongst the Miami and a lot of Native American or First Nation people than what the European settlers came to understand. And it's it's because of that you get like a lot of mix-up in genealogies. Right. And I've actually seen some similarities to that in um we have a whole group of friends that um have come from the Congo, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, and they refer to like their mom's sisters as their, you know, as their moms or like all of the older women are their aunties or I may be, you know, mistaken. I'm not going to try to generalize that to, you know, all all countries or regions in Africa, but at least amongst the ones you've met. Yeah, at least within the group of um, you know, the Congolese people that I've met, um, they refer to all of the like older women as either, you know, mom or auntie. So ev all of them are moms and aunties. And that seems very similar to um what we were reading with um the Miamia people. And so, like, um, as far as, like, their history goes, back in the 1700s during, like, there was, like, the Battle of Fort Wayne and things like that in which um, they, they fought for their land in this area but had ended up losing. And so they were displaced. Um, at first, they were moved to Kansas by the United States government. And then after that, they were moved to Oklahoma where they currently, where the officially recognized, like the, the government sanctioned and officially recognized tribe currently resides. It's, um, as I had mentioned in some of the, some of the like bibliography, it's the, or the Miami, or, or Miami, Oklahoma, or press or something like that. Um, but it's the, Miami tribe of Oklahoma is currently the only federally recognized one, despite... Despite there being another um, Miami nation of Indiana, um, they were very, very, very shortly recognized by the government, and then that was very quickly stripped away. Um, so the people that managed to stay and... Um, stay in Indiana, um, some of them, 
formed their own like community with themselves and you know created the Miamia tribe of Indiana um yeah like I said the U.S. government stripped that away and they still refuse to grant them governing rights over themselves right because it's basically like though those people who decided to stay after the government was like okay you're all moving to oklahoma they decided fuck you no this is our land we're staying and so the government was just like fuck you you don't get federally recognized even though the government did grant certain families um land here in indiana um i actually through looking through my genealogy found out that I come from one of those families um, who managed to stay in Fort Wayne and uh, receive land and slowly and slowly, very, very slowly, that land was just taken away, Um, whether that be through taxes or oppression of other ways um, monetarily. And then it was, um, didn't didn't all of her, your relatives ancestors um her children whatnot they weren't even allowed to be part of the federally recognized tribe until relatively recently uh no i i believe that they they managed to get recognized within the um uh, miami tribe of oklahoma i thought it was like there was some court case in like 96 or something where they finally were like yeah you're it's fine you're, you're okay i guess I, I can't remember the uh, exact year, but yeah, they had to go through a whole court case to become recognized um, into the Miami tribe of Oklahoma. Um, but then at that time, all of that person's relatives, as long as they applied for membership, were able to become members. Okay. So, I mean, if I if I was interested, um, which I kind of am interested, um, I could apply for for tribal membership? Uh, for tribal membership, I would just have to uh, go through the whole process of proving uh, birth and death records back to the last family member that was um, granted membership. Okay. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, so that was kind of interesting. And um, it made me feel kind of special in regards to um, researching um, this tribe even more. It made mm-hmm. me feel even closer to them. It also made me very angry because, like, these people should have never been yeah, stripped, they, stripped from their land in the first place. Like, yeah, this they were was the their home. caretakers. And it's just like, well, fuck you. We want this land now. Why, though? Like, the whole reason they were stripped from this land was um, so a very long time ago, this land used to be known as the Great Black Swamp. So there's like a a giant like triangular shape that yeah, and spreads it goes from, from like the Miami all the way or from, the, from the Maumee Erie. all the way to like Lake Erie. Yeah, I think. like I think yeah, I think it's like Maumee all the way to Lake Erie. There was this giant, giant, beautiful, dense swamp. Mm-hmm. And then was it the War of eighteen twelve? Yes, I believe they decided so. to drain the whole swamp. Yep, because it was it was inhibiting um, travel. Yep. And so, it was inhibiting troop movement. Right. And um, so because they drained the whole swamp, they realized, man, this land is super, super fertile because those centuries... Um, of it being a swamp land. Right. And pea and yep. all of that, gro- um, you know, swamp growth. So when they realized that this land was so fertile, they, they kicked the unfortunate tribes out mm-hmm. and... 
many, many died. Um, Which, yeah, and then even in Fort Wayne, they had... Because, yeah, Fort Wayne is named after, you know, General Anthony Wayne. And there was at one point... Because the 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 Miami of Oklahoma actually do have a um, a like spokesperson here in Fort Wayne, and Fort Wayne at one point tried to have like a hey we're going to have an Anthony Wayne Day to celebrate General Anthony Wayne, and the Miami spokesperson was just like, could you fucking not? Because no, <laughs> it was just so they ended up not doing it. But because it was just a giant cultural misstep, like, can we celebrate this person who slaughtered thousands of Native Americans? Well, I mean, and and they they have in other ways, like uh, the local basketball team is called the Mad Ants. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that's clever. They're they're ants and they're mad because they're, you know. Right. Trying to win. But they based it off of the name Mad Anthony Wayne. And there's, if you go downtown, you'll see uh, like statues of him and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's kind of disheartening. It's almost, um, it's similar to like uh, statues you would see in the South, you know, towards Confederacy. Like, yes, we don't want to lose this, um, this memory of our history so that we, cannot treat people like that again but it's also praising colonialism and sure without colonialism like i wouldn't be here you wouldn't be here but who would still be here you're right what but I mean, still would be here where the fuck are the statues to like chief little turtle where are the fucking sta- we have those right but they're like tucked away they are tucked away like where where are the statues to like you know um like chief pecan like, where are the statues to, like, Kilsaqua? Like, all she, all Kilsaqua gets is she gets a fucking campground over in, like, Huntington County. That's it. And I'm thankful that there is a nature preserve, you know, um, devoted to Kilsaqua. But what else could we be doing to honoring that memory? Um, right. And so, yes, you're right. That's It's very disheartening to see... Um, like a giant fucking bronze statue to Anthony Wayne. And then, you know, you have the the Miami Village where, you know, Chief Little Turtle originally came from is currently just, it's a trailer park. Right. That's along the forks of the Wabash, right? And uh, and that place, it's not exactly easy to get to, I don't think. Um, I mean, it's been quite a while since I've been there, but um, it's very tucked away and... It's not um, viewed as like, also, a destination for tourists. No, or anything. and it's not. It's not well kept. It's it's kind of yeah. It's kind of disheartening. But I mean, what more can we do except you know like, you know, kind of like spread awareness and you know do those steps to like yeah let's let's spend a weekend and go to Forks of the Wabash and go hang out there and go do things and like and. We'll we'll get to this a little later on, but like things that we're doing with our practice uh, that are like as we focused on administrism and like developing this based on indigenous practices. What have we done using those foundations that we started off with that we had mentioned in the last episode? And I think we're I think starting off like as as I'd mentioned, we were setting the groundwork and everything, but we're starting off pretty well. 
yeah, I think we have a, a pretty pretty good groundwork so far. I mean, it's been slow going, but um, I think it's good to start slow uh, rather than dive in too deep too quickly without any preparedness. Mm-hmm. But before before we do that, let's finally wrap up who the Miami people were. To other tribes, here's a, a interesting, maybe even funny little bit. To other tribes, they were known as the naked people. Um, yep. In the summertime... Uh, or as long as it was warm enough, they would run without clothes. And the other Algonquin tribe uh, tribes people would deem that kind of strange, and they would they would laugh, giggle, whatever. Um, but the Miami just they were also um, one of the few um, tribes in the area who also practiced face tattooing, um, which you can see in like as as I'd already mentioned, like Chief Pecan, um, like he's uh, the one of the or a couple of the few portraits that we have of him like he practiced face tattooing um and it wasn't just the men either the women practiced face tattooing as well um also um an interesting thing that we had found was i know that with a lot of first nations people like having long hair is considered a very a, a thing to be prideful of and it very much is like i know that i wish i could grow long hair but um Amongst the First Nation people, having long hair was a very, you know, prideful thing. Uh, except with the Miami people, they practically almost always shaved their heads, except for like one knot of hair off to the left, off to about usually the left side, if I remember correctly. Like there was just one braid of hair that they kept off to the left side of their head. Otherwise, it was completely shaven amongst the men anyway. And I don't, I don't remember what the practice for the women was. I don't think I read anything regarding the practices of the women, apart from knowing that they also practice face tattooing. And amongst the women, the face tattoos typically tended to be under the under the lower lip and on the cheeks. So that was that was an interesting thing to learn that you know, because I don't know, like in growing up in in like high school and middle school and everything when we briefly learned about the Miami and whatever we were never told anything about their practices um we we never learned like like tattooing at least from like this standpoint it always from what we were taught in school in public school and everything it was always like a practice that happened in like the Pacific Ocean or something like that it was never something as close to home right um I mean, my high school, I don't think, even mentioned the Miamia people. Uh, I I did grow up a bit further south than Fort Wayne, although I was born here. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, no, that wasn't... Um, it wasn't a heavy focus or probably even a focus at all that I can remember. Yeah, and as, as far as their practices, like... As I, as I had mentioned early on, it was very difficult to learn about their actual practices. Um, but some of the things that were mentioned about them were the fact that one of the other local, local um, tribes of Native Americans were the Potawatomi. And it was said during that time that the, the Potawatomi practiced religion, whereas the Miamia practiced magic. And so what that magic was, is it was kind of like um, a mix between animism and like the energy model, or like uh, the energy model and the spirit model, where they believed that yes, everything had a spirit, but everything also had an energy as well. And so um, that that energy could be manipulated. It was up to like the what what's deemed as like the medicine person, um, but 
that was the that was the job of them to manipulate that energy for the good of the people around them. And like energy could be good or bad. Um, but that good energy was used to manipulate things in order to help those around you and part of the tribe. Whereas that bad energy was meant to be dispelled. Um, so as far as like one thing that I, I really like doing though, is like, mentioning the original words of things and so the people who practiced that magic or the people who practiced the medicine amongst the miami people were known as the metiwa um though that was a medicine person the metiwa although take into consideration we may be butchering this yes. and we are very very sorry if we are butchering a language that is near and dear to you we would love to be um educated if you or right. someone you know is willing to teach us on pronunciations. So please reach out if that's a possibility. Um, so Yara, um, how have we spent this last year working towards this practice and um, hoping to be as um, respectful to the Miyamiya as possible? So how we've begun in this practice in the first place, like, first of all, um, we had mentioned it in the last episode. The first thing that I wanted to do, which is practiced in a lot of cultures, is like a baptism into the into the paradigm itself. So becoming like being birthed into that paradigm, becoming awoken, becoming baptized, or like becoming a new person into the paradigm. Like having a fresh slate. Right, exactly. And so the first thing I did was I had devised a ritual um, in which that would happen. And I had a group of friends around a circle and there was this fire, this big fire that was going. And I had ingested some entheogens and had baptized myself and like, like buried my old self in order to become born again by, by getting completely naked and just crawling hands and knees through the pine trees that are in the back of our of our land like there's the, there are these two lines of pine trees and everything under it is all overgrowth and like pine needles and fungus and spider webs and all sorts of gross shit but i had crawled hands and knees through that in order to signify that i was dead and that like i was i was crawling like through the birth canal into a new world into a new paradigm and at the end of that tunnel was that big bonfire and I climbed through it and after I had climbed through it then all of these drums were going and everything around this fire and I sat down and meditated until I felt this presence and I felt approached by what I could only describe as like the spirit of the land that had like opened up its arms to me and just said like come you do belong here this is this is where, like, you're going to do good things with this. Like, things are good. And, like, even now, even now just describing this and, and going through, like, remembering all of these feelings and all of the things that I had witnessed and felt, like, it was very powerful. It was a very powerful moment. And I felt that, yeah, good things are going to come out of this. Like, it's just going to take a lot of work. And I felt as though I was, I was born anew. And I felt as though, like, things are going to go very well but it's also with that with that being reborn and everything that you know there was the, this long gap in in our episodes is because like we we uprooted things like there was that whole uprooting and changing of 
what our schedule was, what our like identity was, what what our we- whole identities definitely changed in over the course of this last year. And I do think that um the the change into this paradigm has been a major part in that. Mm-hmm. Um so we're definitely looking forward to those changes. Um so what else have we done? Um we created an altar to the land utilizing um some wood from a beautiful giant oak that incidentally fell on the day that we signed the paperwork to our house. Um, This tree was likely 250, 300 year old uh, red oak, um, three and a half feet in diameter. Yeah, it was a big ass fucking tree. It was a giant like we weren't here when it fell but i would have it was the day we signed the fucking paperwork it really literally was um and it only barely missed our garage yeah it just barely missed the garage so we took um a giant section of that um tree um like a cross section of it and turned that into an altar to our land um and we we started like populating that altar with things that we'd find on the land, things that things that we found that basically like the land brought us. So like um, for example, a robin had uh, dropped a. I think a giant wind had blown um, one of the robin's eggs out of its nest last spring, and I found that on the ground, and it was still intact, had a little tiny crack in it, and I was like, should I put it back in the nest? Is the mom gonna be upset if I do that? So ultimately, I decided um, it would be best to just put it over on our altar and, and give it to the land. And mm-hmm. But then there was also like in the in the root system from the tree that fell over, I had found this like this pan. It was like a, a metal pan, this dish. And so like that is what became like our water offering bowl to the land that we would draw up water from the well in order to pull her into that bowl that we would offer to the land anytime we went to go speak to it. Um, there was a deer skull that we found that was weird as fucking hell. Like we found this deer skull amongst the pines and it was just hanging there by a thread. And it was like by a string or yeah. something. And it was just like one antler that was clearly chewed on by squirrels or something that the other antler was missing, but it was just a skull. There were no other bones in the area. Yeah, I don't know if the previous owners had found the skull and decided to hang it all spookily in the. Who the fuck knows? There's there's no knowing. Um, because they had this land for. 40 plus years and mm-hmm. but yeah so that that ended up going there like any anything that you know we felt was uh we felt was brought to us by the land right and that we we placed back to um, i mean the only altar. things that were kind of like artificially placed there were we had placed some green candles some like green pillar candles that we would light whenever we spoke to the land right and um we did a bit of a was it a thanksgiving ritual to the land, like a um, mm-hmm. just a giving of thanks for letting us have the opportunity to a live here, yeah, and b learn more about um, all of the the creatures and plants and just basically thanking thanking for everything which we had we had adapted from like this was mentioned in the book Braiding Sweetgrass. It was the the Thanksgiving the Thanksgiving greeting from the Wadnashone, um, which are um, a, a group of 
First Nations people up around New York, um, including like the Mohawk. And if I, if I remember correctly, like the Iroquois. Um, but that was one thing from braiding sweetgrass, where it was like this this big Thanksgiving thing, where you thank the you thank the land, you thank you thank the grass, you thank the earth, you thank the sun, you thank the moon, you thank the water, you thank the fish, you thank the animals, you thank everything, and it really it really puts you in your place. It 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 did, and it was really interesting because as soon as we were like giving thanks to all of these these beings that are surrounding us a rabbit popped out of nowhere and just like hopped right next to us. It was, it was almost stunning. Mm -hmm. Um, just how synchronous that was. Yeah. Um, like the rabbit was saying, Hey, here I am. You called. You're welcome. And then he just bounced his way around. Like it wasn't frightened. Just kind of like saying, Hey, you're welcome. Peace. Yeah. And then he just wandered off. That was, it was really, um... Yeah, like you said, synchronous. It was. Yeah, synchronous. But yeah, so we we had been doing that, um, and, like, we've been trying to incorporate, like, that that Thanksgiving, that that bit of Thanksgiving anytime that we carry on with anything outside. Anytime that we do anything outside, whether it be gardening, whether it be, like, having people over for rituals here, we want to make sure that that land is being thanked. Those things that we are working in and within are being thanked. And the things that we are using from the mm -hmm. land as well. Like, you know, if we're using wood from the tree that fell, yeah. um, you know, try to thank that and... All of these things were given to us and like they were given freely. And so like the, the best we can do as, you know, the, the caretakers who came before us is to, again, like just take care of the land. Like these things were given freely. So we should give back in the best way that we can. And that, that like that, that sense of Thanksgiving carries on to like other things that we've been doing. Like just, just the fact like we've been doing like meditation out with the rising sun. Right. Um, almost like a, Kind of like a yoga, mm -hmm. like stretches and yoga, um, like a... Yeah, the sun salutation. Yeah, sun salutation yoga. Mm -hmm. So we've been kind of incorporating other uh, religious aspects into it as well, but... Um, I don't know, like I feel pretty limber afterwards, so that's good. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just generally a good thing. And it, like, it's, it's so much powerful just doing it like right as the sun's coming up. When, when you're out there and you get like everything's silent, but you can still hear, you can still hear the life coming from the land around you. Right. And you can hear everything waking up mm -hmm. and it's such a beautiful, um, invigorating kind of experience and doing it in the cold is, um, it's a test. It's a test. Yeah. It's a test. It's, um, it will definitely wake you up. Oh, yeah. Very it'll, quickly. <laughs> it'll perk you right the fuck up. <laughs> you don't even need coffee that morning. Um, we've been trying to do more and more, like, meditation among the trees. Um, I would like to set up a few different, uh, like, little meditation gardens mm -hmm. um, in little different nooks and corners of the property. And, like, I'd, I'd done it, and even... Just going out there. There was there was one time I remember distinctly. I went out to meditate near the pines, um, and I I sat there and I I was just I brought along this Bluetooth speaker and I sat there for a while and just listening to this like meditative music and I just heard like while I was sitting there meditating there was just this overwhelming sound that I heard that was kind of discordant with what I was listening to as if to tell me just like shut that the fuck off and be here 
be here in this moment, be here with what's around you, be part of the land around you. You don't need this music. You need to be part of this. And so like I had just shut it off and I sat there for a good long time just understanding like my place in this land and where I'm at. And like it it was almost as if, like I said, I heard a voice just tell me like, shut that the fuck off. Like this is more important. Like you need to be here. Right. It wasn't like you were being surrounded by silence either. No. It, it was like, because um, I remember you telling me, it was like as soon as you turned the music off, you realized that you were surrounded by all sorts of noises mm. and you could hear everything around you just be alive. Yeah. And, and it's that that I should have been paying attention to. Right. The life surrounding you mm -hmm. rather than the calming music. Yeah. That it's Which is, it has its place, like meditative oh, yeah, definitely. music definitely absolutely has its place. Um, and if you don't have, you know, a whole lot of nature surrounding you to listen to, like, that's definitely a great tool. Right. But I mean, even, even then, like, like becoming part of the land, becoming part of what's around you, like it very much gets into the idea of the genius loci, which is the spirit of the spirit of your surroundings. So like, even if you live in an urban environment, just like shut off whatever music, listen to what's around you because that's the spirit of what's around you. Right. That's how your surrounding is, mm -hmm. is living as well. Um, so what else have we been doing um, in this past year working towards this practice? Well, we've also, along with, along with doing the meditation and everything, we've also been focusing and you especially have been focusing on, you know, like local plants. Right. We've been learning more about, um, plants that are, uh, native to our area. And, um, I joined the, um, Indiana Native Plant Society, um, Facebook page. I think that they have a, an actual club membership that you yeah. can join. Yep. It's, it's a small fee. Um, like small yearly fee. And then, um, they have tons and tons and tons of people that post on there daily, like, Hey, uh, what's this plant? And then somebody else will be like a group expert and they will, um, they'll answer the question like, Oh, that is common milkweed or that's butterfly milkweed or that's swamp milkweed which i think there's like 11 different kinds of milkweed yeah, there's a shitload of different milkweed <laughs> which it's great that's wonderful and you know um whichever one works best for your area it's definitely definitely great because monarch butterflies we learned at the monarch butterfly festival um that we went to last year mm -hmm. um monarch butterflies only lay their eggs on milkweed they um they will eat other other plants but they only lay their their eggs on milkweed so that's a very important plant in recovering our lost mo monarch population um i think from what i read the monarch population had dropped like 90 percent over the last 20 years and over the last couple of years, it's slowly starting to recover, but... It's taking, it's taking time because there's a lot of like people, or like milkweed, you would, you would see a lot of milkweed growing along the sides of roads, but like people are using herbicides and killing it off. And so like the monarchs don't have anything to feed on. Well, yeah, but the, even the issue of planting it, because um, you, you do see it planted alongside like highways and stuff. And that's great that, um that our local governments are saying, hey, we need to, you know, try to fill these spaces that we've left 
empty. But highways uh, aren't exactly conducive to butterflies. Yeah, highways are very, very dangerous to butterflies because how many times have you hit a bug while you're flying 70 miles an hour down the road? Uh, I mean, um, squash. Like, (laughs) the poor little butterfly doesn't have a chance between cars and herbicides and birds and cruel little children who have the best intentions do they though uh, most children do <laughs> they just want to see the beautiful thing they don't understand that capturing right. it kills it right so um yeah i mean butterflies monarch butterflies especially they have to travel back from you know here in the midwest all the way to mexico so mm-hmm. that's like a three thousand mile trip one way but yeah, and you've you've done a lot of work um, on our land trying to bring that back. So like we have one friend who you, um, well, you had asked for like milkweed seeds, milkweed pods. And so like I had gone over to her land and we just went because she has a shitload of milkweed growing around. So we went and captured or went and gathered pods during the autumn and we've got intentions of planting them here soon. Right. Um, but before we plant those, we're going to have to, uh, oh, there's a term for it. Basically, we're going to have to put them on some damp paper towels in the fridge. We didn't get them out before fall came. So the way um, milkweed seed pods or milkweed seeds work is they need to be actually outside in the winter for that outer shell of their seed to erode um, appropriately and in order for the seed to actually germinate. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have to uh, get that started real soon before spring comes. But we'd also planted some native trees in this area, including like the... The black tupelo, mm-hmm. uh, also known as the black gum tree. Yep. And then we have the American chestnut. It's more of a bush, less of a tree. Um, uh, but that will help bring in more uh local in like native insects and native birds and give them homes as well as just creating healthier soil um a healthier soil chemistry Mm -hmm. and then um there's other plants we've brought in that we've gotten from local native nurseries i know prairie smoke was one of them yeah there was a prairie smoke uh there was butterfly milkweed Mm -hmm. Uh, i've got a, a bunch of other seeds we have to get those planted yeah. shortly now that we hopefully don't have any more snow right but then speaking of birds we've been doing a lot for that because i know we had mentioned on the last episode about treating things holistically bringing things back and for a good long while there like we we had we had gone out and we bought a bunch of like bird feeders and everything and started feeding those but then right like la- late mm-hmm. last winter early spring we, yeah we plant we put out bird feeders and then shortly i think it was around may yeah there was this crazy thing going on uh lots of lots of people were seeing their songbirds just show signs of uh nervous system damage and the birds were just dying wasn't one of the symptoms like they had like some crusty eye shit or something yeah there was like crustiness around the eye neurological issues and the birds were dying and and it was mostly like fledglings and scientists couldn't figure out what was going on. I don't know if they actually figured out what the issue was or not. I know you had a good idea. I was wondering, and I don't know if this is just speculation or if other, if like scientists um, 
um, have figured it out. But my hypothesis, at least early on, was we weren't seeing any of the brood X cicadas that were supposed to emerge mm-hmm. last last spring, summer. And I was wondering if the birds that were dying were birds that had eaten these cicadas who had absorbed so much herbicide over, you know, the 17, 17 years, years, over the 17 years that perhaps these... Or if not the herbicide, like maybe there was a parasite or something in yeah. there. Or like it, something possibly having to do with Brood X. I mean, it, it makes a sense. Lo- a lot of areas said that they weren't seeing the amounts of cicadas from Brood, brood X that they were supposed to be seeing. Mm-hmm. And like, I know we he- didn't even hear mm-hmm. cicadas until very, very late. Yeah, but but we got dead birds. And um, so we followed the um, the guidelines of our... Uh, local was it conservation officers. Yeah, the, like the DNR. Yeah, the local DNR. And, you know, we removed our bird feeders, which made us really sad because that meant we didn't have nearly as many birds surrounding mm-hmm. us because we don't have nearly as many native plants that the birds would have been feeding off of. Right. And it wasn't until um, a couple months ago when they finally like lifted that, that suggestion to take down bird feeders and everything, we put them back up. And then since then, as speaking as of right now, like we finally have like the kind of population of songbirds and birds that we had before, before um, the whole thing happened. Yeah. Before all of that happened, like we finally have that amount of birds back, which I'm looking forward to because like after those birds started becoming more and more sparse, we started, I at least noticed that there were a lot more insects. There were a lot more spiders like yeah. I noticed quite a bit more. Um, but yeah, we're hoping that, you know, that same kind of thing doesn't happen and that all of these birds are hanging out, especially since we've planted trees and we're planting more things to help them. Yeah. It's, it's been a fun, fun ride. Um, and I, I really just enjoy watching the, the songbirds and just all the birds. They're, they're fun. Mm-hmm. Um, they have little personalities. Yeah, they do. So that's real fun. And all the other little critters. Mm hmm. Like that fucking squirrel that lives in our fucking walls. <laughs> yeah. So that's been a thing that we've been dealing with uh, over the course of the winter. There's there's a little squirrel that I uh, would live in an old, old farmhouse. And there's a squirrel that lives in the wall. And Yara's over here. Tom and Jerry crazy. Fucking homicidal. <laughs> squirrel-icidal. Oh, you can't just kill the squirrel. You're no, gonna... I'm going to fucking murder it. <laughs> I'm not just going to kill it. This goes against what we're practicing. It has a life and a soul. Yeah, but it can also burn down our house. It could burn down our house. It, it is potentially causing issues for us. So, as well as driving Yara Marud's, um Blood pressure to go through the fucking roof. And, and mental state of being yeah. to become not well. <laughs> And on that note, I think we should take a quick break so that I can calm down a little bit. And um, yeah, we'll be back soon to finish up what we've been working on and what we're going to work on after this.
right, we are back from break. How how else have we spent this last year working towards this practice? Um, we've already spoken about um, it, reintroducing native plants back to our land. Because as you may have already guessed, you know, lots of them have been stripped from this land and... For things like fucking hostas and shit. Right. Um, and the hostas have their place. Um, not here. I hate them. But yeah, they're they're not necessarily the best plants to have um, when you're working <laughs> towards having a native ecosystem. Um, so yeah, we've been working to reintroduce uh, native plants to our our little environment as well as very slowly working to remove non-native slash invasive plants uh, placed here by previous generations. Like such, the hostas. Such as the hostas and the daffodils. And and while those are they're very beautiful plants. Those, those weird fucking like Jesus orchid things. Like the resurrection. Oh, the resurrection orchids. Um, resurrection lilies, I think is what oh. they're called. Um, those aren't native, are they? I don't believe so. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, a resurrection lily, first you think there's nothing there. And then when the day's right, a whole stalk and a flower pops up out of nowhere. Um, and I'm not even exaggerating. You will think there is nothing there and it will be... Like, a day it or will two. be yeah like immediately and there's a whole stalk in a flower um and they're pretty they're they're like little light pink flowers um on a really tall stem kind of like a regular lily but they're they're real interesting and then um but peonies I'm sure they're not native i i don't know if they are we'll we'll need to double check on that peonies are not native though they are the indiana state flower yeah. there's a whole story behind that um, we do have some native plants in our flower mm -hmm. bed that were left here by the previous owner. Um, we have the purple cone flowers. Yep. Um, are morning glories native? I don't... I'm not sure. I'm not sure about those. We did remove a uh, barberry bush, yep. which was a whole painful process. God damn it. It, it has these little barbs on the, on the branches that are very, very, very... Painful. Sharp, pointy, painful. Um, we've been working to remove a, a rose, rose bush. bush that it is extremely it won't die. It is extremely aggressive, but yeah, um, it's it's a slow process. It's not like we're just gonna cut down all the non-native trees because then we would have almost no trees. But um, we're slowly introducing, like we'd already mentioned, like the chestnut, which is more of a bush, but then like the black tupelo and. And we do have some native trees. We have... Um, like the catalpa. Uh, catalpa is almost... We are just barely in the region that it's that it's native. Like, it's almost... They're very, very, very rare in our area. Yeah. Um, but they are native to very close to here. But, I mean... Um, we even... do have many oaks. We've mm -hmm. got white oaks, black oaks, um, chinkapin oaks. I probably butchered that. Um, we had a red oak. I, I don't know if I've seen any more red oaks on the property. Well, I mean, speaking of rarity, though, like when we were doing yard work last year, we had uplifted a log and found a blue spot at Salamander. Oh, yeah. Um, doing, yeah, doing yard work, we 
found a blue spotted salamander, and those generally are found around the Great Lakes. Around the Great Lakes, um, and even according to like the Purdue University website, they really don't come down this far south. But we found one just chilling right. out under a log. The furthest south one has been found, I think, was Portland, Indiana, which mm. is a little bit south of where we are. Um, but they're very rare in our area. And so we happened to find one. Um, mm-hmm. So that was pretty interesting. Um, and they're they're beautiful. They're almost, it's a salamander. Um, yeah. And so they're they're almost all black and they've got these little light blue spots all over them. And they're just Ooh, real pretty. pretty. Guy. Yeah. Well, they're girls. Well, okay. A little pretty girl. Yeah. They're, they're girls. Because I think the way they reproduce is they reproduce with a male salamander of a different species and they maintain their genetics oh, yeah, there was... they have a really interesting genetic uh it's like, composition and sexual like reproduction homeogenesis or something i don't remember the exact term but yeah it's it's super interesting it's, yeah anyway um yeah we've been we've been trying to reintroduce like local local things um and getting rid of the non-native ones um but then also We're... like Taking care of the native plants that already do exist mm-hmm. here and just ha- trying to help those thrive in their best possible, in the best possible way that we can help them. Right. And even as far as like helping like local insects and things like that, we don't mow our yard very often. No, mostly only if we know somebody's going to like, if we're having a get- gathering. Yeah. And, and we might not even mow the whole yard, just enough that people can get to the backyard and we can all hang out. Mm-hmm. Um, without too much of a worry about ticks, like having the birds help with yeah. the ticks. And then we but... also have a local possum who's dumb as hell, but <laughs> we do, we have a little fat possum. <laughs> Unfortunately, he has, um, traumatic brain injury. Probably <laughs> he, he accidentally met the end of Yara Marid's boot. As yeah, Yara was uh, walking out the door one day. Yeah. Okay. Because like we. Okay. So we have we have a bucket like right outside our front door that we use to keep po- compost in. Like I keep this there and like I open up the door and like I'm just opening the door like not expecting anything to be there and I fucking hoofed this possum in the fucking head. Um. <laughs> because he was trying dude. to get into the compost bucket and I felt really bad for him but he just toddled off. Like, he didn't seem too bothered whatsoever. And but... that was our second encounter with the possum. Yeah, because I had set a trap for that fucking squirrel. Which we're going to stay calm about. Sorry. <laughs> Why well, it set a trap for that squirrel, and then it it didn't catch the squirrel. It caught that fat possum. and like, <laughs> I don't know how the possum even fit in there. I don't know there. how it fit into that trap, but it did. It was just barely big enough. And so, like, I had to pick it and shake it up, or like shake it out of the, out of the trap, and the poor bastard landed on his head. <laughs> the poor little possum. I, I feel bad for him. But um, so yeah, possums are great to help with like tick population and yeah, and along with other the birds insects. that we've been bringing back. So yeah, we've been we've been trying trying to help with the, the native animals of our area and um we did get a a bird box or uh, not a bird box a bat box yes um a bat house uh we haven't placed it yet we gotta find the perfect place to place it which um, i'm thinking over near where the garage is like along those those like douglas trees or whatever okay. they are yeah that might work um but we also have didn't did we get an owl house? No, we do not have an owl house yet. It's one thing we've considered. 
We have another local Indiana company that makes and sells wild animal... Habitats. Not necessarily sort habitats, of. but... Um, enclosure things like well they like they, they like, sell like bird houses bird feeders and bat boxes bat boxes squirrel houses uh all the different kinds of things you could put in your yard or on your property to help um um help maintain yeah animal wild ecosystem. wild animals but they yeah they've got they've got owl houses and i've been thinking of getting one of those because i know we have screech owls in the area i've heard the eastern screech owl in like off in the distance like i know what that sounds like and i've heard i've heard a couple of them so like they're in the area i've it's, not seen one here but i, I have seen, seen one. one while i was driving down the road right they're pretty lo like they are local right and so like if if we could have one that would also like help take care of you know as we're approaching things holistically that would also take care of the like field mice that we have that are in, in our garage right and so do the peregrine falcons we have yes which those are pretty cool to watch right. the barrel roll. But we have to decide whether or not we want like a falcon to live here or whether we want an owl to live here because two predatory birds, two are raptors not are not going to live together. Yeah, not likely going to live near each other. What else have we been doing? We've been looking into reintroducing local native mosses, but relocating mosses can be super difficult. Yeah, would... Especially after uh, like reading the Gathering Moss book by uh, Robin Wall Kimmerer. Um, it can be difficult to do. There, there are ways to help facilitate moss growth of a specific variety of moss, but um, mosses are very important to our ecosystems, and they're often um, one of the most overlooked plants. Like people see these flowers and they're like, "Oh yeah, let's plant all the beautiful flowers," and that's great. I am very happy that you want to, you know bring back milkweed for example it it does have a very important part of our native ecosystem but just the pretty flowers and pretty plants like they're not the only right, helpful like, right like even the prairie smoke that's a pretty small plant and mm -hmm. it's pretty um easy to overlook it's just a small little kind of flowering bush the, thing there are like Almost succulents that do yeah. exist in our native ecosystems. Um, but they're, because they're so small and everything, they're very easily overlooked, kind of like how you're talking about the moss. Right. Yeah. Well, moss is... Moss is very overlooked. Is very overlooked. Mosses and lichens, um, they're very overlooked. But they... And they often can thrive in some of the most um, interesting locations. Mm -hmm. they're, they're real interesting to... To learn about so um that's one thing we've been looking into um things we've done this last year um we've also been like as we had mentioned in the last episode trying to work on community <laughs> and like working with local people and working with you know building that community again and building building a group of people to work together and so like we've been inviting people over here as often as we can not only not only just like people who practice magic but any of our friends in order to build a community and sometimes we've had we've had both magical people and just friends come and hang out and so like they they become part of the land we create our own stories here we start helping build this community right as responsibly as possible right i mean we're still trying to maintain the social distance and right uh keep our community safe um unfortunately this 
coronavirus is still ongoing. Thankfully, numbers are going down, um, you know, with this current um, variant, the Omicron variant. The virus is extremely, extremely contagious, but thankfully uh, less severe than it was two years yeah, ago. Yeah, and we've, we've been vaccinated. We make sure anybody who, would, who has ever come here has been vaccinated. And, you know, we wear masks when we have mm-hmm. to and, yep. and try to socially distance as much as possible with, with maintaining that community. So um, it's, it's frustrating and sad, but, you know, we, we, still, do what we, can. we still try to do what we can to protect that community because there's, there's no point in having community if you're, you know, if your community is gone, mm-hmm. desolated in a short amount of time. Right. So... But then, like, we've also been, you know, trying to incorporate that aspect of homesteading by growing our own garden. And we, we've even incorporated aspects of community with that garden. Right. So uh, we had this, had this decent-sized garden last year. Mm-hmm. and Lots of fucking gourds. Yeah, we had lots of... Um, lots of tomatoes, lots too. Lots of squash, lots of tomatoes, lots of peppers. And there were so many tomatoes, and they came at a time where I just wasn't quite able to can them. Mm-hmm. And they went bad. Like, they started to get squishy real fast. And um, I had remembered our neighbor down the road who I get chicken eggs from saying that her chickens love tomatoes and if we ever have scraps to just bring them over. And so I called her up and I was like, hey, uh, I got a whole bunch of like real squishy tomatoes. Do you think your chickens want them? And she's like, oh, yes. So I brought over... Um, I brought over a bunch of tomatoes and they weren't, they weren't rotten, just, just squishy, um, squishy tomatoes. And then I had a whole bunch of some squash. Yeah. Some squash that I I cut up. And then I had this beautiful little cantaloupe that I was just waiting for it to become just perfectly big enough. Right when it got big enough, I went to pick it and I grabbed the backside and squish. Oh no. A rabbit had bitten into it like had had eaten like a a third of it so i took that over and that happened i think a couple of times too i think we had a butternut squash that that also happened to and with um, one of the acorn squashes too yeah so we managed to take those over and you know take that uh those vegetables fruits and vegetables over is tomatoes are technically a fruit but anyway um took those over and our neighbor gave us like a whole pack of eggs for free. So it, it was nice like having that almost bartering system, uh, reciprocity. We gave to them. Mm-hmm. They gave back. We fed the chickens. The chickens fed us. Right. But so, then we also had people come like help us prepare for winter as well. Um, we have we have a grapevine, which isn't exactly native. Um, um, I don't. I know we have... We, there are wild grapes that do grow in this area, but right. I don't know if they're I don't native. Know, I don't know if this variety of grapes is necessarily native to our area, but yeah. Right. We had like we had one of our friends help come trim that up for us. There were other friends who helped like come help split wood, who like helped trim back bushes, helped us transplant some um, walnut trees to areas that wouldn't like fuck our foundation. Um Right, because our walnut tree that we have remaining is 
A, right along the front of the house, and B, right along the uh, the power lines. So the power company likes to come and trim it up every, you know, every year or two. And the poor tree is only it's has seen branches. Days. It only has branches on the the side opposite the power lines, mm-hmm. which is so sad for this beautiful tree. But just transplanting some of the like the the couple year old walnut trees, right? The ones that grew in the flower bed, that yeah. That are right moved. next to the house. Yeah, needed moved right away. But yeah, so we had people help with us. Um, and so with them helping that, helping with us on the land, like they they became part of it too. Like, And we had given that sort of reciprocity saying like, yeah, you've helped with this land at any point. Like if you want to come over, like you can. Like this, you've helped with this. You've helped cultivate this land. This land is yours too. Well, they, they actually all volunteered because they had all been here to partake mm-hmm. of this land and in some way or another, whether that be for a bonfire or, yeah. um, you know, doing rituals with us or, or whatnot. So they, and after talking about like what we're doing with administrism, like they were the ones that introduced this and were like, Hey, you know, we want, we want to help. Right. So, um, it was really nice to have that, um, community mm-hmm. come help give back to our land. And, right. Um, you know, maintain it because sometimes it it does need a little bit of work to help make sure we're not getting an overgrowth of this of these invasive species or mm-hmm. um, you know make it be ready for the different seasons. Yep, we have to give back to receive. Yeah, so. Definitely, because everything this land has given us, it's given freely. And so we need to provide for that land in the same way that it's provided for us and will continue to provide for us. Right. So, so we were very thankful that they offered and they were willing to, mm-hmm. you know, help do that. And and then as far as like our practices go, like magical practices and everything and how we ingrain ourselves with the land, like one thing that we had been doing taken from, um, taken from one of the books... Um, which was uh, Wisdom Sits in Places. Uh, with Wisdom Sits in Places, one thing that's that was common amongst the Apache, and it's common amongst, uh, it was common with the Miami as well, and many other like Native Americans, is just providing things with names. And giving things names gives it that spirit. It gives it that energy that the Miami used like by having a name it gives it something and so we've been trying to do that as well like walking around our property walking around this land and providing names to things and by giving it that name it 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 gives it verification it gives it validation like I see you I see you and I understand you and you are something and you are, you have this energy, you have this spirit. And so by doing so, like, so there are places where I can just give a name and Zarina knows exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like, for example, one of the areas that we have is there's a very, very old mulberry tree in the back corner of our property. And we just call it the old mulberry tree. It is the only one. Mm -hmm. So... I mean, and there have been other like little mulberry bushes that have grown around, but that's the mulberry tree. Right. The mulberry tree. Mm-hmm. Or like our red oak. Yes. Yeah. If he would have stayed, he would have been like the grandfather oak. Yeah. But no, it's just, it's it's our altar. And so like, we we have these names for things with with the mulberry. We can just speak to the mulberry tree. Right. 
So it's nice to be able to have those names and, and know those locations as well as be able to respect that, um, respect that, that being and right. the and spirit that of life that and yeah, the spirit and life of that, that living being as well. So right. multitude of, um, positives mm-hmm. from that. So yeah, that's that's what we've been doing with our practice along with keeping like with the foundations and everything and every time we have a ritual or do anything like it involves drumming, it involves it involves a fire. We've had plenty of fucking fires outside. Uh, yeah, yes, outside. That's where we want the fires. Yeah, please I know. be safe with your fires. <sighs> yeah. Rules. Too many goddamn rules. And Keeping fires outside. I mean, a candle is an okay inside fire. A fire right. in the fireplace is an okay inside fire. Let's, <sighs> let's just be have safe fires. You're pretty picky. You're so picky. I prefer not Pyrex bowl fires in my living room. Prefer. By prefer, I mean require. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> Anywho, okay. thank you for listening. We really have appreciated... All the support. Yeah, all the support that you guys have offered. And, and the patience for um, waiting through this long episode reveal. Yes, absolutely. We we honestly do hope to start releasing episodes more m- with more frequency. Um, especially like we had mentioned at the beginning, how things have calmed down. How you know we're getting into the swing of things and can start discussing what we're doing more often. Yeah, let's hope that there's not a whole lot more uprooting. Right. Apart from us, like, uprooting things that like non-native plants. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. And the we're going to keep focusing on indigenous practices. Like, this last year, we had been focusing on the Miamia. Um, I'm hoping with the next paradigm, because it's very, very much land intrinsic and focused on land and your place with the land is focusing on, like, um, Aboriginal dream time practices. Not, not paradigm, but the next like right. location that right. we choose to speak about. Right. Just focusing on that, that idea of one's intimate relationship with the land and how one sees oneself as being part of the land because it is, it is very much intertwined within that culture. And so and there are many different cultures in it, but like one thing that is pervasive throughout it is one individual's relationship with the land, which is where you get things like song lines. But I'll talk about that and we will talk about that come, come the next episode, which hopefully will be relatively soon. Right. And once again, if you or someone, you know, um, speaks Miami or knows more about the Miami culture, we or even any of the Algonquin tribes cultures, um, you are more than welcome to reach out to us. If you would like to share more information, we would love to um, share that as well or just learn more as well. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much. And, and sorry for butchering any of the Miami pronunciation. Yeah, we're very sorry. We try. It's not always... Um, not a native speaker at all. Not a native speaker. And it's a... It's definitely a ride. Yep. So thank you so much, and we look forward to the next episode. Hell yeah. Thank you. All right. Peace out. Bye.